0: Luke chapter 10, verses 25 and following. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said unto him, What's written in the law, how readest thou? And he answering said, Now shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, of all the mind, and thy neighbor thyself? He said unto him, Thou hast answered right, this do and thou shalt live. But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, and wounded and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion on him. He went to him bound up his wounds, pouring an oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I'll repay thee. Which now these three thinkest thou was neighbor, unto him that fell among the thieves. The lawyer said, He that showed mercy on him, then said Jesus unto him, Go, and do thou, Likewise, title of the message is very simple this morning. What it takes to be a good Samaritan. Thank you very much. You may be seated and we'll pray together. Heavenly Father, we enter your gates with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. Thank you for who you are and all that you've done. If anybody's come to church, but not to Christ, may this be the, may, the day they trade religion for a relationship, get born again. For all of us that name the name of Jesus, may we understand what a good Samaritan is and be one. For the glory of Jesus Christ, in whose wonderful name we pray and all God's people said, amen. amen. It's interesting as you study through the Word of God that you'll find criticism is a part of it, all the way from Genesis to the book of Revelation. In this passage of Scripture, there, the Lord Jesus Christ Luke 9 and 10 has done the following four things. First, he's preached to the multitudes. Second, he's challenged the seventy. Then he prayed to his heavenly Father. In this 10th division, he's instructing the 12 disciples. Seemingly out of nowhere, a highly educated student of the Mosaic law comes to pose a question to Jesus concerning eternal life. The Lord does not answer the question because he knew the motivation and he gets the lawyer to answer it, which he correctly does. Then he controversially asks, and who is my neighbor? This fellow reminds me of a person who may come to a good independent Bible preaching Baptist church and on Sunday night when everything's said and done, they'll engage somebody in conversation in the lobby and discuss the finer points of theology, which we will never solve until we get to heaven. But that same person's never been across the street to say to some lost friend, Jesus saves. So the story before us is not just for this lawyer, it's for all of us. Because the issue at hand is not who's my neighbor, but to whom can I be a neighbor? I want you to pick up the story in verse 30 where this teaching of Jesus is that a certain man goes down to Jericho. Now, that was normal six days a week for the Jewish people to traverse that 17 miles. It was dangerous. And usually people never went by themselves, but evidently this man either went by himself or the people that were with him were already scattered and gone. And so when Jesus started the story, nobody blinked an eye because they knew the hazards of traveling the Jericho Road. In verse number 30, I want you to see, first of all, what I'm calling the condition of the stranger. Now, the man has no name, so I'm not going to give him one, but his condition physically parallels all of us in our condition spiritually when we were born on the road that leads to hell. I want you to notice, first of all, he'd been assaulted. This man is on a business trip and people jump out from behind the rocks and they beat him up, leave him for dead and take what he has. It's a picture of all of us when we were born on the road that leads away from God and leads to destruction. On that road, we'd all been assaulted by sin and Satan. The Bible tells us in Acts twenty-six eighteen to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light and the power of Satan unto God. How powerful is the devil? Did you know that when you and I were born, and I'm not being politically correct, I'm being biblically correct, when we were all born, we were born in sin and children of the devil. John 8, says, You're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. You say, Preacher, you can't condemn me like that. I'm just telling you what Jesus said about all of us. You say, I'm better than that. Then you'd have to be better than the Pharisees that Jesus made that statement to. They fasted two out of every seven days, gave 10% of everything they owned, had Bible verses in their clothing, and Jesus said, if you're not better than that, you don't stand any chance of going into heaven. Friend, you've got to know what you are so that you can see what you can be, but nobody ever gets saved till they first get lost. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom I may devour have you ever admitted that you were born in sin, a child of Satan? Now, the Bible goes on and describes this guy in verse 30 because it says, he fell among thieves, Satan is a thief, which stripped him. It's a picture of a lost person. Hebrews four we're all naked and open to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You may dress yourself up and come to church. You're just simply a dressed up sinner because God sees us internally, and the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The Bible goes on and says he was wounded. It's a picture of an unsaved person. Isaiah 1, 6, from the sole of the foot to the crown of the head, there's no soundness in us. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they've not been mollified nor bound with ointment. And then the Bible says they left him half dead. You say, well, I may be bad, but I'm not half dead. Oh, friend, when you and I were born, we were still born. We were alive in the body, but we were dead to God, dead to sin. Ephesians 2, 1 says, You have a quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. Here's a man who's hopeless and helpless in a picture of all of us who are hell bound. Now listen carefully. If you have never admitted to God that you're a sinner, you have not been born again. If you have never admitted that you're a child of the devil, you're not a child of God. God can only save people who see their plight. Only save people who come to the foot of the cross as God presents them. Have you ever seen yourself like this? You say, preacher, it's an ugly picture. That's why Calvary is so beautiful. You see, Calvary is nothing more than a tree with a naked man on it until you see your sin. Then suddenly it's the most beautiful place in all the earth because it's where the king of the ages died for us, was buried and raised again. You see, if you this morning will admit that you're a sinner, God will make you a saint. If you understand you're dead, he'll raise you to walk in newness of life. If you'll admit you're naked, he'll clothe you in his righteousness. And if you will come to Christ, everything you have been will be in the past and what you can be is present and future and it's all in Jesus Christ. So here's a man who's been assaulted, but he'd also been abandoned. You will notice that first of all, the thieves left him. All they wanted was his money. You may think you're high, wide, and handsome living for the devil, but he's going to destroy your life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I've come to give life. The thieves left him. But it's interesting, the theologians left him because there was a priest that came that way. There were 12,000 in Jerusalem at that time. He's doing his duties and... He doesn't even slow down. He just passes by on the other side. You know, I've met some people like that in my ministry. They were professional, but they had no personal touch. Pastor, I was preaching in Indiana years ago, and the pastor of the church leaned over to me. He said, the most liberal Lutheran preacher in the town just walked in the church service. I said, well, that's wonderful. He'll get an ear filled this morning. And so I preached the word of God, and he came to see me at the end of the service, And when a person talks funny, I always count my fingers when I shake hands with him because I never know exactly what happens in that transaction. And he said, I used to be in the ministry and I had a parish and I wanted to perish. And I said, well, why did you quit the ministry? And he said, well, I had a funeral and I committed the body to the ground and to the God, to the soul that made it. By the way, if you die without Jesus, nobody's committing you anywhere. You've already determined you can't go to heaven. You gotta be born again before you leave. He said, a few days later, the widow of the of the man came. She said, where is my husband? Is he in heaven, is he in hell? She said, pastor, is there a heaven or is there a hell? And he looked at me and he said, Dr. Farrell, I can't answer that question. I thought to myself, the children my wife are dealing with in the children's meeting can answer that question. He said, can you help me? Man, I turned to Revelation and I made hell just as hot as God made it. And then I went to the last couple of chapters and made heaven just as sweet as he made it. And I said, sir, the difference between heaven and hell is one person named Jesus Christ. Boy, he bowed his unworthy head, asked Christ to come in his life. Tears came down his cheeks. He said, I went to seminary. Why didn't they tell me where I went about this? I said, you went to the wrong one. That's why. I said, when you go to the right person, old things are passed away, all things are become new. Now, I don't know your pastor real well, but i tell you what I learned as I've been conversing with him on the phone and he picked me up in the middle of the night, I found a man who loves Jesus and loves you. Can I get an amen? If you're visiting this morning, don't visit again, just come back. And if you're not saved, get saved and then just join right here and let this good man of God pour his life into you. There's a priest and there's a Levite. We'll make him a Sunday school teacher or maybe an usher. He kind of stops and takes a look, but he still passed by on the other side. Now, the first man was callous, and the second man was concerned, but watch, neither one of them stopped. And right. it really doesn't make any difference about your emotion. It's your action that's going to help bring people to Jesus. Amen. If you're here and you do not know that you're going to heaven, you hear me carefully, there's people including this evangelist who'll take all afternoon with you to help you know that you've been born again by the Spirit of God. So here's the condition of the stranger. But then I want you to notice down in verses 33 and following the compassion of the Samaritan. Notice the Bible says a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was. Have you ever heard anybody say that guy is a good Samaritan? Now, in American terminology, that means he stopped and changed the tire. He took a little old lady uh, in his car to the grocery store. Uh, she made a pie for the neighbors, and that's not really being a good Samaritan in the Bible terms. That means that guy's a good tire changer, he's a good driver, and she's a good maker of pies. That's what that means. But if you see the condition of the stranger and you understand that's lost, the compassion of the Samaritan is two pictures. One, it's a picture of the great Samaritan, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Second, it ought to be a picture of you. So what I want you to do today is take a little examination and ask yourself, can I qualify biblically to be called a good Samaritan? Number one, a good Samaritan will stop. What is it the priest and Levite did? They wouldn't stop. They might have slowed down, but they wouldn't go over and help him. Now, what did Jesus do every time you're meeting him? He's always stopping for the hurting people. In Matthew chapter five, in the you study the gospel in Mark chapter five, you remember this little lady that had a blood issue. She's gone to all the doctors, but she's still sick. Let me tell you, you can go to every doctor in the United States and the world, but if you don't go to Dr. Jesus, you'll never go to heaven. So she spent everything she had. He's the last resort. He should have been the first resource. She said, if I can just touch the bottom of his robe, I'll be made whole. She struggles and gets to the bottom of his robe and Jesus stops and says, who touched my clothes? Listen to me very carefully. Jesus never asked a question for information. He knows everything. He asked that question for identification. You see, if you believe on him, you'll never be ashamed and if you're ashamed, you just didn't believe on him. She identified herself, went home whole, what's the point? Jesus is never too busy to stop for people who stop for him. Mark chapter 10, Jesus is going through Jericho. There's a blind man named Bartimaeus. Some of you older people in the building may remember the song, one sat alone beside the highway begging. His eyes were blind, the light he could not see. Then Jesus came and bade his darkness flee. My father sang that, I don't know how many times. The blind man says, What's going on? They said, Jesus is passing this way. He didn't know any better. He just stood up and shouted, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. Now, if you read the text closely, there were some dignified, dead-headed church people who said, Shh. Yeah. He probably went, Shh, yourself. You can see I can't. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And the Bible says Jesus stood still and call for the one that's calling for him. See if you can help me. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everybody that has ever come by faith and called on Jesus, Jesus has saved. What's the point? Jesus stops for every emergency. Now let me ask you a question to you. In the process of life, (coughs) as you have so many things going on, do you really stop for the lost people? Do you really care if they spend eternity in heaven or in hell? I was preaching in this state some years ago, and the pastor said, Would you and your wife have lunch with some brand new converts? Said, I'd love to. We went in and sat down, and I said to the man, Sir, I don't know you. Would you give me your testimony? By that I mean tell me when you got saved, where you got saved, who led you to Christ, how you know you're going to heaven. He gave it to me. I said, That's exciting. I said, Now, madam, would you give me your testimony? She said, have you ever been to Denver, Colorado? I said, many times. Have you ever preached at a place called South Sheridan Baptist Church? It's now Red Rocks, changed names. And I said, many times. Did you get saved at South Sheridan Baptist Church? She said, no, I never went to that church. I said, well, ma'am, you got me confused. She said, I worked on South Sheridan Boulevard at a grocery store. I know exactly where it is. I shopped there. She said, there was a lady from that church, and she would come to our grocery store, and she'd get my line, and she would walk through and pay her bill. And she said, now, honey, Jesus loves you and I love you and I want you to get saved and give me a gospel leaflet. She said, sir, I think I got every gospel leaflet they ever printed over that church. I said, is that when you got saved? Listen to her response. She said, no, that's when I started wanting to be saved. Come up here real closer and listen to me. Some of you don't know until you get to heaven what God has done. So you just keep being faithful and God will make you fruitful. Yes. She said, we moved to this state and we, on a Monday night, some people from the church where we now attend came to visit us. They came in and told us how to be saved and I said to my husband, that's what that lady's been trying to tell me. We both got saved. She said, I've been trying to find out that, who that lady is. Do you know? And I asked the previous pastor and the present pastor, and nobody knows, but I know who does know. His name's Jesus. I I me. Mean, the lady didn't just go get a gallon of milk and a loaf of bread. She always went on a mission of mercy and would stop to give out the gospel. Amen. A good Samaritan will stop. Number two, a good Samaritan will see. If you look in verse 33, he came where he was and when he saw him. Yes. When you see sinners, what do you see? Do you just see pagan people or do you see potential pilgrims? Do you see people that irritate you? Or do you see people who inspire you to give them the gospel so they can be changed just like you've been? One of my favorite stories is in the gospel of Luke chapter 19, Zacchaeus. You remember the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man? A wee little man was he he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I'm fed up over my head hearing all this psychological pablum. Everybody is dysfunctional and nobody can make any right decisions. Listen, we're all responsible. But if anybody should have been in a textbook case of a psychological problem, it should have been Zacchaeus. Think about this. He was a Jewish IRS agent working for the Roman Empire and he was a midget stuck in a tree. (laughs) That'll do something for you right there. Jesus came to the bottom of the tree and looked up and he saw him and he's looking at you right now. He's never met him, but he knew him and he's called his name and he knows your name. Amen. He said, sir, get out of that tree and come down. Today, I must abide at your house. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you can stay up the tree of religion and look down on Jesus and one day you'll go down to hell. That's right. But if you come out of your tree of religion to the feet of Jesus and look up by faith, one day you'll go to heaven. Well, Zacchaeus got born again by the Spirit of God, and the summarization of the story is the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I was preaching in a southern city, and a lady got born again, and she came out to the sales table. She said, Dr. Farrell, I got saved tonight. I said, I'm so excited about that. Tell me your name. And she said, well, let me tell you something else. She said, I've been all over this city looking for Jesus, and I found out tonight he's been looking for me. And you were not first looking for Jesus. He was first looking for you. What do you see when you see the lost? How do you see when you see people? I was heading for a Bible conference and dressed a little bit like this and had my ticket. And I always try to get a ticket on the aisle. Number one, when I'm witnessing, if I'm sitting on the aisle, you ain't gonna get out. So I'm, I'm sitting on the aisle. Number two, I've already predetermined if a plane goes down, I'm not fastening my seatbelt, I'm gonna run the aisle on the way to heaven. And so I was sitting on the aisle. And I noticed where I was gonna sit that there was a guy already seated, spiked hair, earrings, tattoos, he was a piece of work. And somebody asked me, what did you think when you saw him? I thought, hot dog, it's gonna be a great trip. So I put my briefcase up, sat down, stuck my hand in his hand and I said, son, what's your name? He told me. I said, where are you heading? He told me. I said, why are you going there? He said, a funeral. I said, young man, who died? He said, my grandpa. He just kind of looked down and I said, I'll bet you're sitting in this seat thinking about the day you're going to die. He said, how'd you know that? I said, oh, I do a lot of funerals. And everybody that goes to a funeral thinks about their own. He said, that's exactly what I'm thinking about. I said, well, that's good because God sent an independent fundamental Bible preaching Baptist evangelist to sit next to you and tell you how to get ready to die, and I'm him. He said, okay, then. We got off the ground, opened my Bible. He poured over the Bible, and he listened. I'd love to tell you he got saved, but he didn't. But when we got off the plane, he shook my hand. He said, thank you for caring about me. He said, where's your next gate? I said, son, I'm running real close. He said, I'm not. I got time. Can I walk with you? See, many of you are afraid of people. Those people are afraid of death. I gave him some more gospel, gave him a little gospel track. I said, Son, you're not far from the kingdom. Make sure you get in. He said, Thank you, sir. You know what the point was? I saw something different in him than a lot of people have ever seen in other people. What do you see? A good Samaritan will stop. Do you? Will see. Do you? A good Samaritan will sense. The Bible says he had compassion on him. Yeah. The word compassion carries the idea of your pain in my heart. Let me give it to you again. Your pain in my heart. And you'll never help people until you hurt for people. That's right. You can't just be going through life throwing out gospel leaflets. Do you ever really trade places with a lost person? In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. In Jude verse 22, some having compassion making a difference. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul said, we didn't give you the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear to us. I don't want to know the last movie you cried during. I want to know the last person you cried over. Preacher friend of mine now in heaven told me a story about a fellow he led to Christ. He said, as soon as he got saved, he said, now, preacher, you've been talking about going out and telling people about Jesus. Will you take me so I can learn? That's a good sign he'd been converted. A person who has no desire to tell anybody about Jesus better examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. He said, the first house we got in was an old crusty sinner, mean as a rattlesnake. He said he was not interested and I thought of all places to bring a new convert. He said, this is a bummer. He said, I noticed the guy wasn't even looking at me. He was looking at my new friend. And finally, I just quit witnessing and looked over and this brand new convert was crying. He said, I quit saying anything and the old crusty sinner looked at him. He said, what's wrong with you? Oh, he said, sir, I'm sorry, but I just got saved a couple of days ago myself and I just don't want you to go to hell. Yeah. He said, that old mean cantankerous sinner looked back at me and he said, preacher, if it's that important, start over. Yeah. Yeah. Some yeah. of you think you're gonna talk people into Jesus by your great intellect. You won't. That's right. But if you have compassion, yeah. it'll make a difference. Yeah, Stop. Yeah. See. Sense And finally, sacrifice. The Bible tells us in verses 34 and 35, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn or a hotel because it didn't have a hospital and took care of him. And on the morrow, he departed, verse 35, and took out two pence and gave them to the host and said to him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. What did he sacrifice? First, if he sacrificed Let's just suppose this was the afternoon. Now, the Bible tells us that this Samaritan, oh, by the way, the Jewish people hated. So here's a guy loving somebody who hated him. If he stopped in the middle of the afternoon and took him to the hotel, he left the next day. So let's say it's three o'clock in the afternoon. Let's say he left at six the next morning. Three to three is 12 and three more hours would make it 15? When's the last time you gave anybody a half day of your life to say I love you? Amen. Now listen, folks. I'm not preaching this message just for today. I'm preaching this message for the life of this ministry. Yes. If you want to reach this community for Jesus Christ, it takes time. Amen. You can't just run by and throw a track and give John three sixteen. It takes time. What's your life? It's a vapor. It appears for a little time, a little while, and it passes away. I was preaching in a southern city and the oldest man in the church walked up to me and he said, understand you like to play golf. I said, I do. He said, I'll take you and put you on the best golf course in this town if you'll do me a favor. I said, what's that? He said, my brother used to play golf, but he's had a stroke and he can't play anymore and he's not saved. And I said, he likes to go. And I said, if you'll Drive the 18 holes. I will pay for every dime. I'll put my brother in the cart with you, and you play golf and witness to him. What a deal. God and golf. It doesn't get a whole lot better than that, I can tell you. Well, I'll tell you how high dollar the golf course was. Nancy Lopez, professional lady golfer, teed off in front of me. Thank God, not behind me. And for 18 holes, I'd hit the ball and witness to Henry. He said, I like you and we'll be in church tonight. Came he and the missus, sat on the second row, and both got saved by the grace of God. He said, thank you for spending time with me. People need your time. Some of you have lost family members. You get frustrated because they drink and smoke and cuss. Everybody listen very carefully. Why does it shock you that sinners sin?" Some of you didn't get that. I said, Why does it shock you that sinners sin? It ought to shock you how much sin's in your own life. Yep. Stop looking down your jaundice eye at those who are lost and spend some time with them. Find out what they do like that you could actually do with them and spend some time. But he also gave toil. You don't go over to a guy who's semi-conscious been beaten up and said, let me give you a hand. You gotta get down and pick him up and he puts him on his animal and this guy walks and the fellow that probably can't say thank you rides because it takes work. Yes. Jesus said, I must work the works of him while it's day. The night comes when no man can work. For a number of years, I was a lifeguard and I will tell you when I took the class, it was a lot of fun but the first man's life I saved was not fun. I can still remember, and I can still remember him spitting up the water and saying, you saved my life. But if you ever save somebody's life physically, it will cost you very, very dearly in toil. Do you really work at evangelism? He sacrificed time and toil and treasure he poured in oil and wine. That was expensive. But he, when he gets to the hotel, he stays overnight and leaves money with the proprietor and says, now, you take care. Don't worry about the expense. Here's uh, two pence. And when I come back, I'll pay the expense, whatever is left. Two pence in that day, dear friend, the Jews and Samaritans made a penny a day. So let me translate it for all the businessmen. He gave two days wages for one man's soul. So here we are Sunday morning in November just before Thanksgiving and you examine yourself because I can't. All I can do is look at my own self. Here's the question. Do you stop? Do you see? Do you sense? Do you sacrifice time and toil and treasure And if Jesus walked down this center aisle and looked out and said, I'll show you who's the good Samaritans in this church. The following people come up here and stand with me. Would you be sitting there or coming here? So Jesus looks at the lawyer and he said, Now, which of these three do you think was really the neighbor? Well, this guy's not going to use the word Samaritan. That would have been a dirty word. Frankly, I don't think the lawyer learned anything. There's a lot of people who come to church on Sunday morning and they'll say, well, I've never thought about it that way before and go on about their business. But here's the difference. If you walk out of here this morning as a born-again believer and you stop at the restaurant and you see the waiter going to heaven or hell and you sense the need and you'll sacrifice some time, you might see somebody saved today. Go thou and do likewise. So let me come to this part of the service and look everybody in the face and ask you a question. Have you ever seen yourself as this Jewish man who was religious but not like righteous? Have you ever been saved? The word saved is an interesting word. It means delivered. It means rescued. If you're going to get saved, you've got to know what you're getting saved from. So let me give you a word this morning. It's the word sin. Everybody say it. Sin. Say it again, sin. This is not the courthouse, this is God's house, and you can say it here. If you have never seen yourself as a sinner, you've never been saved. On a Sunday morning, when my dad was preaching on hell, I was sitting next to my mother, and this thought hit my mind I am that man's son, but I'm not God's. And I'm a sinner. The FBI and the CIA didn't even know I existed, but I was a sinner. Galatians 3 and verse 22, the scriptures conclude all under sin. The second thing you need to understand is not only we've sinned, but we're sentenced. Romans 6, 23 says the wages is payment for sin is death. Death in the Bible is separation from God. This hand represents your body and this hand represents your soul. Luke 16, 23, the rich man also died and was buried. There's his body and in hell he. Now, how did he go to hell when he was buried? Because you're not just a body you're a body with a soul. He was in torments. Seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented, tortured in this flame. It's my responsibility to tell everybody in this building, if you do not get born again, you don't go to the other place, you go to hell. If you do not get born again, there's not a second chance called purgatory because purgatory doesn't exist. If you do not get born again, nobody's gonna come witness to you like you're being witness to this morning. If you do not get born again, you can't call and say, Mom, but you told me I got baptized. You may have gotten baptized, but if you didn't get converted, you can't go to heaven. And then the last word is the word sacrifice. Would you say that word with me? Sacrifice. 2 Corinthians five twenty one. he who knew no sin, what a wonderful Savior, became sin for us. So there's a sinless Savior and there's sinful us. That we might be made, M-A-D-E is a key word. That we might be made, it doesn't say we might attain or achieve, but be made the righteousness of God in him. Have you ever heard anybody say, if you're going to heaven, you have to be good? Now, for those of you that have believed for years, that's not a true statement. It is a true statement. If you're going to heaven, you have to be good. I'll say it again. For those of you who just woke up, if you're going to heaven, you have to be good. You have to be just as good as God. And if you die a centimeter less than as good as God, you won't step in heaven, see heaven, or live in heaven because heaven is a place of righteousness. So you can't make yourself righteous and you can't achieve it, but you can accept God's righteousness. Jesus said in Mark 1, 14, repent means change your mind. You can't change your life. God does that. You change your mind. And believe. Transfer all that you've been trusting in to the one who's trustworthy and leave baptism and catechism and confirmation and doing your best behind because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done. But according to His mercy, He saved us. And the Bible says, "Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." It doesn't mean this. I was about to have a wreck, God. I was overseas; they were throwing grenades. God, I was laying on my deathbed, and I said, "Just give me one more." No, it means that you are transferring your total trust to Jesus Christ, who He is, and what He did for you. Does that ever happen to you? Not do you think or hope or wish. Has that ever happened to you? You know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've been saved. I was preaching in the mountains of Colorado to a group of men. Man got up who's now a pastor and he gave his testimony. And when he's given his testimony, I didn't know it. <clears throat> and I heard him say, Well, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad was a pastor, and he said I'd prayed all the prayers and done all the stuff and was living like the devil, and he said I wouldn't say. He said, I married a woman that wasn't saved and he said, we tried to rent a mobile home. He said, the old codger I went to get it from, he said, now, son, you've been saved. I was, he said, I've been saved all my life. He said, I tell you what, I'll sell you this motor home but you come with me at church on Sunday and we'll do the deal on Monday. He said, I won't go to church with you. He said, son, you ain't saved. He said, the old man just looked me straight in the face. He said, you ain't saved. He said, if you're born again, you'd want to go to church. I ain't selling you my mobile He said, he made me so mad. He said, I was up for two nights and all I hear was the old man say, You ain't saved. You ain't saved. He said, But he was right. He said, I'd prayed a prayer and walked an aisle and never met Jesus. You can walk an aisle and sign a card and get wet and go to hell wet. You've got to be converted by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes. He said, I trusted Christ, went back hugged the old man's neck and he said, thank you for being honest with me. Yes. He said, God, call me in the ministry. and He was giving his testimony like one of the gentlemen gave it this morning. Just couldn't get enough of praising God. If Jesus walked up to you this morning and put the book of life and whose name is written, and whose the book is written, your name is there if you're born again. And he put the book of life in your lap and he said, Now you find your name. Don't look at anybody else, don't think about anybody else. If Jesus put the book of life in your lap, is your name there?